Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We've all suffered post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, the nightmares uh, continue. Just thinking that George Lovey is back on the streets and virtually controlling his own cards is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, not even the point, point right now where... He hasn't even got an ankle bracelet. Don Edwards, uh, former Team Canada goaltender, Buffalo Sabres, Calgary Flames, goaltender on uh, the freedoms that are being afforded the man who murdered Don's parents. And uh, much in the news at this time about the Supreme Court of this country having decided it's unconstitutional to deny parole opportunity consecutively for multiple first-degree murder convictions. We're going to talk about that with our guest, Scott Newark, former Crown Attorney in Alberta, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association. Scott also had intervener status at a parole eligibility hearing for British Columbia mass child murderer Clifford Olson. And it shakes people up when you hear that somebody like Olson, who was paid $100,000 by the RCMP to disclose where he buried bodies of children he murdered, that there would be actually a parole opportunity for him. But the story gets even worse. And we'll ask Scott to talk about that. But before we get into that and the Supreme Court decision, Scott, from your perspective as former executive director of the Canadian Police Association, just share your thoughts on the uh, on the shooting deaths of Constables Travis Jordan and Constable Brett Ryan in Edmonton. It's, it's just unimaginable. I mean, a 16-year-old kid and he's got a gun? Uh, wow. I hope uh, people dig into a little bit. It sounds like from some of the news that I've seen that they were at least aware of him because of mental health issues, not crime issues. But where is this coming from? Like, you know, and, and you're seeing more and more violent crimes all across the country. And here you got two police officers doing their job and going and responding to a complaint, and all of a sudden they're dead. Like, wow. It's terrible. It is. It's absolutely horrific. And you try to find the words to describe how you feel, and it's extremely difficult. His mother was 55 years of age. Yeah. And uh, she'd called police because she'd had an issue with him. They arrive uh, just after midnight, I guess around quarter to one in the morning. And uh, they didn't have an opportunity to reach for their firearms before the 16-year-old was, was shooting at them and, and killed them. And then the mother struggled with the, with the son. She was shot. Uh, she's apparently going to survive. And, uh, and then he killed himself, the, uh, the 16-year-old. There, there's, there's so many issues to be dealt with. Yeah, there really are. And, I mean, yeah. I saw the conference yesterday, and they said they are unaware of where the gun came from. That will be interesting. Yeah, it will. Let's get to this issue of the Supreme Court of Canada deciding it's uh, unconstitutional yeah. to deny parole opportunity consecutively for multiple first-degree murder convictions. So if you kill two people and you're convicted of first-degree murder in both cases, the way the law had been changed, it was going to be 50 years before you could be eligible for parole. No longer the court says you can't do that. It has to be concurrent. Your thoughts? Well, this is, as you and I know, we've, in our discussions going back over, I think, 30 years, this is an issue uh, that I've been interested in and involved in, um, originally because it uh, dealt with first-degree murder, and that had special application to the murder of police officers because by definition in the criminal code that means it's a first degree murder charge and so very shortly after I got to the police association in late 1992 
some of these cases of these reviews, they were originally called the Faint Hope Clause, which, by the way, was running at an 80% success rate, um, started kicking in, and that meant that these offenders were allowed to apply for release early. And so I got involved with all of that, and including with, by the way, the guy you referenced, Clifford Olson. And I just saw the, the incredible trauma this imposed on citizens' families, including one that was the murder of a police officer out in uh, Saskatchewan. And I went out there, and the, the guy's daughter, who herself had become a police officer, said, I mean, she just literally felt betrayed, and that was her word, by the justice system, that this was going to be the case. And so I was involved in a great uh, many more of these, and I, in particular with Clifford Olson, I got to see that these guys, the worst of the worst, the, the real psychopaths, they knew they weren't getting out, but you know what? They were psychopaths, and they enjoyed exerting power over the victims' families. So they, would, they really enjoyed tormenting the victims' families. And back in those days, they were allowed to have uh, parole, another shot at parole after two years. So they would do it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was terrible. And I worked very closely with the then uh, Justice Minister, Alan Rock, and we started the process of reforming this. And then in uh, 2011, actually the conservatives, and if, if you recall, and I think you and I spoke the day I attended the hearing for uh, uh, Clifford Olson when he was in St. Anne de Plain with the victims' families, um, you know, this was nuts. We needed to come up with something better than this, and the conservatives ultimately did introduce legislation. I think it had some flaws in it, and that's really what the uh, Supreme Court, uh, or the juristocracy, as I like to refer to them, uh, uh, based their decision on in uh, 2022 in striking it down. But i got to tell you, from a principled point of our criminal justice system, that ruling makes absolutely no sense. No, it doesn't. Because the no. bill was based on the notion, it wasn't mandatory that the judges had to impose consecutive parole and eligibility terms. It was discretionary. In other words, we were adding to judicial discretion. Yeah, let me just add, let me just fill in a couple of blanks here for our listeners who may not be aware of the case, and and you are because you were there. So Clifford Olson was a mass murderer of children in British Columbia, and yes. the RCMP paid a hundred thousand dollars to Olson so that he would disclose where he buried some of the bodies. He wanted more money before he would disclose where all the bodies were. The RCMP weren't coming up with any more money, and Olson refused to disclose where the bodies were. So Olson was judged to be too dangerous to leave his cell. He was judged, listen to this, too dangerous to leave his cell. He was incarcerated in Saskatchewan, but his faint hope clause parole hearing option was going to be held in British Columbia. So what did the government do? They got a private jet to fly Olson from Saskatchewan to the parole hearing, the 745 hearing. Meanwhile, Gary and Sharon Rosenfeld, who's, who were founders of Victims of Violence, an organization that looked after the affairs of victims of violence in this country, their son had been murdered by Olson. They didn't have the funds to fly to British Columbia from their home in Ottawa. And the federal government said, well, you just make your way to British Columbia any way you can. So they fly the killer on a private jet, but the parents of the victim, they're told to make their way to British Columbia any way they can. It was the police association that, that paid for the airfare for them. And you were at that hearing. Yes. And there, 
it was even more bizarre than that because they had decided, as you described, that he was too dangerous to let out of his cell. The process involved a hearing to see that he would qualify for one of these, but he said he was too dangerous to be allowed to apply to get out early and earlier than what early was defined as. And so they had the hearing with him, you know, speaking through a uh, a wall-mounted speaker. It was just absurd. And then when he actually showed up for the hearing, as you described, he knew he wasn't getting out, and he turned and he looked at the families, one of whom, their children, their, their kid had been nailed to the a tree as this guy was sexually assaulting him. He nailed him. Let's not, go, let's not get to too, too graphic here. And that he turned to the look at these families with a smirk on his face and started as though he was banging a hammer on a nail. Yeah. Well, look, do you are you are you concerned at all that the days of the nineties when these sorts of hearings were held for the likes of Olson, maybe I don't know if they're on the way back, but there might be some efforts underway to restore that kind of option. Um, I don't know, and I've seen an awful lot of media attention because courts are now having to implement the Supreme Court ruling, and so are you know taking away where consecutive parole and eligibility periods were ordered. Uh, and I saw a good column uh, in the Toronto Sun suggesting that the government should use the notwithstanding clause to overrule the Supreme Court ruling. I don't think we have to go that far. It's like the nuclear option. And ironically, the, the case was the Alexandra Bichonette case that the Supreme Court ruled on, and the judge in that case didn't follow the exact letter of the law that the conservatives had drafted, but he gave him consecutive parole eligibility, ineligibility periods, but instead of it being for 25 years, he made the, the additional one for 15 years. Yeah. So why not build that in? So that the, and you know, you can put restraints on it as well, that right. it can only go up to a certain age of things. But I think there's a way to do this legislatively. You could do a reference to the Supreme Court of Canada, and I think we can actually restore uh, this justice so we don't have a justice system that says one thing and does another. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.